Good morning, everybody. How you doing? <clears throat> um, on that note on Thanks Gathering, um, I've shared before, Thanks Gathering is my favorite service of the year. I, I love coming and hearing people's letters about what they're thankful for. And this year, I know the Niners and Seahawks are playing on Thanksgiving. That's not till five. So that's not even an excuse. You get to come to church, get excited, get depressed later. It's okay, right? It's going to be a fun morning. Um, but also on the vein of Thanks Gathering, I would love everyone for you guys to uh, start praying for something that we do once a year. Um, the Sunday after Thanksgiving, um, at least since I've been here, we've started receiving the one special offering that we receive throughout the year, and that's our harvest offering. Um, we started doing this uh, my first year here, and we've continued it the past couple years. We're going to do it again this year. And what the harvest offering is, for those of you who don't know, um, it's the one special offering we receive each year. And this money does not stay in-house. This money 100% goes out. Sometimes I'm tempted to say outhouse, but that just sounds bad. It goes out of the house. It goes into the community. It goes to people in need. It goes to support missionaries. And it's such a blessing that, that we get to receive this and be a blessing to people around us. And we've, we've helped people in the community that have called and said, I've hit a trouble point in my life and I just need help and the harvest offering has helped them. We've had the opportunity to help raise and bless leaders and send people to conferences with the harvest offering. We've had people come and say, I've... Uh, I need, I need this in my life, and, and the school needs support. We've been able to support the school. So the Harvest Offering is a really, really amazing way that we get to be out in our community. And it's exciting to know that in just the past couple years, we've done upwards of $30,000 that's come in and out through the Harvest Offering in this church. And that's really, really exciting. So start praying for that. What the Harvest Offering is, is it's not a replacement for tithes and offerings. This is something where we say, what's something in my life that I can, I can sacrifice and sacrificially give to this so we can be a blessing to somebody else. So start praying about that. We're going to receive that Sunday after Thanksgiving. And um, I'm always excited to see and, um, of what God does through this. And I, every year when, when, I, when I hear what comes and I get to share with you guys, it does bring me to tears because it's such a joy to be able to say this is bigger than us. It's bigger than our building. And how can we bless our community, not just nationally, but internationally as well. So pray about that as we get ready to receive that next month. Um, I'm, I'm excited this morning that you're all here. Thank you for joining us online. We're going to start a new series uh, today called The Second Chance God. And uh, we're, we're going to dive into the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, go to Jonah chapter 1. And just, just as a, a forewarning, we're, we're not going to read all of Jonah today. But today as we, we start in here, there's, there's so much in this book we can talk about. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to do a big overview and a flyby of, of the book of Jonah. What are the main themes we see? How does God work in this book? And then for a number of weeks after, we're going to break down each chapter and go through what is God saying? What is God doing? How can we apply it today? And what are some things that we really do learn from Jonah? But, but if you know the book of Jonah, what's probably the first thing you think of? The big fish or the whale, right? That we, a lot of us, if, if you've been in church, if you've been in children's ministry, that's the story. The, there's the fish. This guy gets eaten alive, vomited out. It's an incredibly weird, awesome story. VeggieTales does it. Jonah and the big fish. I mean, it's, it's, everyone knows this is the story. This is popular. People who don't know the Bible know Jonah. It's so well told, and so many things come from it. And we're going to unpack and look at the narrative of Jonah and God. Now, as we, we look into this today, um, have Jonah chapter 1 ready, but I'm going to give you some background on, on the book of Jonah. So Jonah is referred to as a minor prophet. 
Now, that doesn't mean that, that his message was any less than any of the other prophets, that it was not as important, that he wasn't that big of a deal compared to the other prophets. Minor prophet just means his book as a prophet is shorter than other books. Minor prophets and major prophets really is just the length of the book, not the weight or heaviness of the message they were giving. So it's the only big distinction. We can clearly see in this book that, that God is the God of the second chance. And as we read the Bible, you, you find out God is not just the God of a second chance. God is the God of an amazing amount of chances. He gives us time and time again the opportunity to change things and work with us. But this guy Jonah, as, as we, we unpack from his story here, we'll see if he went to prophet school, he probably wouldn't have graduated. He had some major flaws, as we'll see here, but God still uses him for a high purpose. And, and if I'm, I'm honest, I'm, I'm so thankful that I am not a part of the one to cast stones at people and say, you messed up, you're out. Because when we see what Jonah does and what he goes through, you'd probably be looking at him and going, this guy? God gives this guy this job and this is what he decides to do with it? It's, it's an incredible story. And as we look at the life in the book of Jonah, many feel well, some things that there's, there's some things that are fishy about this book. Some things that are hard to swallow, right? It's a whale of a story. Okay, I promise I'm done. <laughs> my daughter's probably just rolling her eyes. Yeah, there you are. Yep, the eye rolls are real in my house. But as we get, as God comes in to get this prophet's attention, understand this about the book of Jonah. The phrase, but God, is noted 45 times in this book. But God, and then he did something. And then the phrase, but the Lord, is noted 60 times. So we have over a hundred times something happens that says, but the Lord did this, but God did this. So, so we, we see God will enter this situation and things change because of his patience. Things change because of his work. And, and there's power in this phrase because we can know as we read this, when we see that phrase, God's about to do something really big. And Jonah is full of incredibly big things all the time. It's a game changer no matter who you are or where you are in life. When you read that phrase in scripture, but then God, but the Lord, know that something big's about to happen. Something significant is about to move and something is about to go down. And know that for us, no matter where we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what failures we've had, the truth is that God can come and begin to make those things different when you follow him. When, when you have that, you did something, but then God stepped in. In our lives, something big's about to happen. We'll see that here in Jonah this phrase is critical because in, in this book, we'll see the truth that, that God is active and at work in the world. God is consistently active and at work. It, it, isn't it easy sometimes to forget that simple truth? That God is always active. God, God is always working. He, he's always doing something. But it's especially in, in times like this when we can look at things going on. We, we look at things in our life. We look at things in the world. We look at war happening overseas right now. And it, sometimes it can be easy to think, you know, like, where is God in this? Is God moving in these moments? Is God moving in my life? Is God moving in my neighbor's life? Is God moving in the lives of those overseas? Things can seem random. Things can seem so horrible that they lack meaning, and we forget that truth that God is working. God is active. God is on the move. Sometimes you'll have atheists and agnostics, and they, they may tend towards these deistic beliefs that where they, they come in and they say, well, we have an absentee God that you serve. Even if, even if there is a God at all, he's absentee. I, sometimes they'll say, you know what? I think you, have, you serve a God that created something and then just kind of step back to watch the show. There, there are people that believe that. Like he wound this all up and then removed himself from it. He's not involved in the world or people's lives. But God is, as we'll see the Bible portrayed, 
not just involved in the world, he's involved individually with people. And we see a very clear picture of how God does that in the book of Jonah. We'll see in this book that God may be working behind the scenes, but he is always working. He may be working behind the scenes, but he's always working. So here we have this great story, this great a man, this prophet who runs from God, but you know what God does when he runs? God runs right after him. God doesn't just stop and go, hey, where are you going? He actively starts to pursue right away. It's like the, the prodigal prophet trying to escape God's call. And, and it shows that we're pursuing God when he pursues us. Something is always true from God that we can learn. When it comes to God, and you guys up front know this now, you can run from God, but you cannot hide from God. We see clearly here, Jonah tried to flee the presence of God, and it's almost like, really, the God who is everywhere, all seeing everything he can be a part of, Jonah literally tried to hide from the presence of God. He can run, but he can't hide. But you know, it's funny, and I say that to you guys, but also to all of us, how many of us have run from God before? I think we've all done it in some way, shape, or form. We've all come to a point in our life where we, we acknowledge who God is and we still say, but I still want to do this, and we don't do what he said. We've, we've all come to this point where we've, we've run from God from time to time. We can run, but we can't hide. Sometimes we, we find that we were running from God. How many for us that story is true where we were like, you know what, I was running for so long, and then finally I felt that tap on my shoulder, God saying, hey, just turn around, I'm right here. I'm right here, and I'm waiting for you, and I want you. Maybe some of you online today have experienced that. You've been running from God, and, and you had that moment in your life where God just came, and he got you, and you knew that he was pursuing you the whole time. God was knocking on your door, tapping on your shoulders. You're trying to get away, but his love, kind and gracious love, is unrelenting. And we come to that moment where we all know we can run, but, man, we cannot hide from that God. He loves us too much. We cannot get out and away from him. Jonah runs from God. God steps in and reels him in. That was another one. I'm sorry. I'll stop. No more fishing jokes. But to make it more, to make it more palatable for people, um, over the years, there have been different ways the book of Jonah has been interpreted. People have taken different methods on, the, the questions have been asked, did this really happen? Is this really a story? Is this a factual story? Is this a metaphor? And so people have, have said that there's different ways to, to interpret the book. And some of these ways include this. One of the first ways people will say to interpret the book of Jonah, they'll say this is a mythological book. It's in scripture for a reason, but it's simply seen as an interesting story, um, but, but not to be taken too seriously. It, it's more like the, the Iliad or the Odyssey or Moby Dick. It's a great story with great principles. Hi, Jordan. Great story, great principles, lessons you can pull from it, but it didn't really happen. Some people will say that about Jonah. Others will say this is an allegorical story, a story that explains the history of the Jewish people. There's lots of, of things you can pull from it that relate to Israel and the Jewish people at the time. Jonah's like the Jewish people. The, the great sea is like the nations of the world. The great fish is like Babylon coming in and swallowing up the Jews for captivity. And then when it vomits Jonah up, that's a, that's a symbol of the, the nation being released from their 70 years of captivity and on their way to return home. And then there's the other interpretation, which this is literal and historical. Personally, I think this, and I believe, this is a literal and historical interpretation of, the book, of this. This really happened. And I consider these reasons for it. One, Jonah was a historical figure, and this is backed up through scripture. 
So noted in the, king, in the days of King Jeroboam II, a prophet from the northern Israel close to Nazareth in 2 Kings says this. He says, he was the one who restored the boundaries of Israel from Lebo Hamath to the Dead Sea in accordance with the word of the Lord, the God of Israel spoken through his servant, Jonah, son of Amity, the prophet from Gath Hefer. So we, we, we see one verse referred to this as a historical person. This really happened. And then second, we see Jesus actually refer to the story of Jonah. In his teachings, Jesus speaks of him as a historical person, going as far as paralleling, paralleling and using Jonah's time as, a fish, as an analogy to his own death and resurrection. And we see this in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus says this about Jonah. He says, he answered, a wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign but none will be given it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. I would, I would argue that anyone who says this book is anything less than factual would have to say, They'd have to take into account, explain the words of Jesus who validates it in his own teaching. He uses it personally with his, with his disciples in his teaching to show this happened. This is what's going to happen to me. And so I believe Jonah is real, and I believe there's so much we learn from it. And as we break down the book of Jonah, I, I love going to musical theater and, and seeing show, live shows. And you know, shows usually have act one and act two. I think the book of Jonah, we can break up into two acts. We can have chapters one and two, and the setting is the great sea, what's happening on the sea as Jonah starts his run. And then we have chapters three and four, which is kind of like act two, and the whole setting is the city of Nineveh, and what's happening now that Jonah is actually doing what God told him to do. In act one, we see the run. We see Jonah forsaking God's call, saying, I'm out, I'm not doing it, I'm on my way to do my own thing. And then act two, we see Jonah fulfilling God's call. But as you look at this, this story play out, there's some things I think are really cool. We look at the main characters of the story. You know, I asked you first, when you think of Jonah, what's the first thing you think of? The whale, right? So it's easy when you look at Jonah, you say, who are the main stars? Jonah and the whale. That's, that's what the story is about. Jonah actually is the co-star in a supporting role in the story. He is not the star of the story. And although the fish is what we all know of, uh, the, the fish is actually, if, if this were to be the production, like, hey, here's where all the stars are saying, the fish doesn't even get his own room. He doesn't get a star on his door. He is a prop, a supporting prop character in this story. Although he's often billed as the main character, right? VeggieTales, Jonah and the big fish. You ask kids, Jonah, what happened? The fish ate Jonah, right? He gets all the credit in the story. But the fish is such a short part of the larger narrative and the point of the story. The star of this book, the star of the book of Jonah, really is God. We see God at the forefront in every single piece of what's going on here. We'll see that his power and his reign is sovereign, and he works in everything. In every bit of the story, you see his hand involved. It's so cool. We'll see how God deals with people. We'll see that he focuses, the, the main focus is God's love for man and mankind. In the midst of him saying something's going to get destroyed, we see God's love and grace. We see how he's the God of the second chance. And most people need a second chance. Just a quick show of hands, who's ever needed a second chance? And I bet if I kept raising that number, third, fourth, fifth, a lot of our hands would still stay up. But we'll see here that God is the God of another chance. And we'll see him deal with four main things in Jonah's life. 
when we break through this in chapter one, we're going to see that God deals with Jonah's mind. God deals with Jonah's mind. We'll see how he deals with how Jonah thinks. We'll, we'll, we'll see how Jonah knows what God wants, but Jonah is unwilling to surrender, is unwilling to go God's way, and we'll see God start to work on that in chapter one. In chapter two, we'll see what Jonah does with his body, how he acts, the things he does, his mannerisms, and we'll see God start to work through Jonah through his body. In chapter three, we're going to see his will and his desires come to play. In chapter four, ultimately, we're going to see Jonah's heart. We're going to see how God works in Jonah's heart. We're going to see a big chunk of God's heart revealed through Jonah's reaction to what happens with Nineveh. Now, we, we see here, Jonah is totally aware of what God wants him to do, right? Yet he doesn't give himself over. He is, at many times, he refuses to surrender to God. And if you're unfamiliar with the book of Jonah, just to real quick fly by, God says, Jonah, go tell the city of Nineveh that if they don't repent, I'm going to destroy them because things are bad. Jonah says no one runs away. And that's kind of what we're focusing on right now. He doesn't want to do it. He so many times refuses to surrender to God. But even in those moments, what we see in God's character here is God continues to work in Jonah. In Jonah's rebellion, God works. In Jonah's disobedience, God works. In Jonah's eventual obedience, God works. And then when Jonah gets really, really ticked off and angry, God still works. God works through every minute, every action, despite what Jonah does. So what we'll say it early on, if you know of or have any idea about God's will and desire in your life and, and you're unwilling to surrender and give yourself to it, you know what you're going to be faced with? A whole lot of trouble. It's going to be a really, really hard road. I, I do believe the Lord will never force you to surrender, but he will show ways where his love and, and his purpose will bring you and reel you back in, just like he does here with Jonah. He has circumstances to lovingly confront you and bring you to him, and show, he'll show you that he's in charge, that he loves you, and he does not want to let you go. An important lesson that we learned here through Jonah, and I, I think this is a big key line for us to understand as we unpack this book, God is as concerned about the worker and the person as he is about the result. We, we don't serve a God who just says, this is what I want and I don't care how it gets done. I don't care about you, just do what I said. We will see that God has a purpose. He has plans and he cares so much about you as you do these things. He's not just focused on the result. He's focused on your journey through to get to the result. He cares about you. Jonah is involved in the greatest revival at this point the world has ever seen. People, kings, and animals come to God. But God still has work to do in Jonah through it all. And the bottom line for that is this, that if our life is not in order in some area, even though we're producing to others, God is committed to dealing with and working with you through that process to get you where you need to be. In the next few weeks, we're going we're gonna to see God working in Jonah, working in us while we can be on the run. While he literally is on the run, we'll see God working. He gives him a second chance. He faces anger issues. He faces racial issues. This is a powerful little book that I believe packs a great punch. So we're going to dive in to the first five verses of Jonah here. If you have it, Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. It says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amadi. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying a fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. 
All the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck, where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. How content must you be to go down in the midst of that storm and go to sleep, right? Talk about a guy who is probably knowing very well what's going on, and we'll see in a few more verses that he does know what's going on. He is so content to not give in to God and acknowledge it. That he's like, in the midst of people panicking for their lives, he goes, I'm going to take a nap. I'm out. I don't want to deal with this. I still have to get lower in this boat to hide from God. Right? We pick up something here in Jonah that, that we often see in children. For those of us parents, how many times have you told your kids to do something and they just don't do it? They just don't do it. Students, how many times your parents tell you to do something and you decide you're not going to do it? Right? Thank you for the honesty, right? Hands up, they're like, yep, did it this morning probably, right? So sometimes we tell kids to do something, for, for example, and, and, and they don't do it. And, and we, we try to tell them why, but sometimes reasonings just don't make sense. Like, for example, I remember I was at the store, and um, when, when I go to the store, the kids usually want to come with me because I'm the sucker and I give them things. But, but there, there are times where I have moments of strength. And they'll say, Dad, Dad, can we get this? And I, I'll say, no, we can't get that today. Now, depending on what it is or the situation, sometimes they'll throw a fit. I remember one time, Aurora came downstairs, and like I said, Aurora plays the crowd very well. She came downstairs, she goes, hey, Mom, can I, Dad, can I have a soda? Switched it up mid-sentence. She prays on the weak ones, Right? But in the store, they've come to me and they said, I want this. And I've said, no. And then what happens? Then there's the arguing. Then there's the pleading and the begging. And, but I really want it. And there, there are times, maybe far and few between, where I, I stick to my guns and I say, no, we, we can't do that today. And then sometimes that's met with strong resistance. It's met with the arguing and the yelling. And I feel like I've said no a thousand times in just 30 seconds. And then what happens? That item gets very angrily put back on the counter, and you never get us anything. It's like, okay. I never got you anything today, I guess you could say, right? But, but it happens, the very angry response. Then the shopping trips continue, but the attitude has changed. They are just ticked off at me. You see, we go through this today. Jonah is having this moment with God. God's like, Jonah, do this. I don't want to do it, Right? He's throwing the fit. He's in the store saying, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. He does not want to obey. He doesn't want to do what God's called him to do and speak this message of love and grace to the people of Nineveh because Jonah knows what's going to happen. So what does he do? He throws a fit and he runs away. Don't run away. All right? But he throws a fit and he runs away. And we will see that God isn't into an attitude of rebellious submission. God tracks him down. God, God begins this pursuit of Jonah, and he starts working on his mind and his will and his heart. And he does this because he knows what Jonah's called to do. He knows the purpose he has for Jonah, and he wants Jonah to be molded and shaped to do what he's called him to do. He starts molding him. He starts, he starts working on him. And we read through the book, and we see that God, is, God loves the worker. He's not just focused on the work. If God didn't care about Jonah, he could have told one of his other prophets. He could have said, all right, Jonah's out. Who's next? All right, you go tell Nineveh. You're out? Okay, who's next? God doesn't do that. He says, I love Jonah so much. I love you so much. This is going to be good for the city and good for you. And I'm going to work with you until we get it. And he tracks Jonah down. As we read these four chapters, it's, it's a great story. We see everything in the story literally obeys God except for Jonah. 
The wind on the sea, it obeys God. The waves and the storm, they obey God. The fish obeys God. There's a worm at the end of the story. I love this part in chapter four. There's a worm that literally obeys God. Jonah disobeys God. The one guy, right, disobeys God. He decides, I'm resigning as a prophet. I'm taking a cruise as a tourist. I'm out of here. I'm getting on the boat the opposite direction God wants me to go. Jonah's been given the assignment. Look, in verse one, he gets the assignment. By verse three, he's on the run. That's a quick turnaround. It doesn't talk about Jonah wrestling with it. It doesn't talk about Jonah pondering, like, God, do you really want me to do? Give me a sign. It's flat out, no. And he is gone. He runs the opposite direction. Why does Jonah run? There's lots of theories and talks about why does Jonah run. One of them, we can talk about the people in the place of Nineveh. I understand, I think, why Jonah ran. Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria. This was an awesome city, but you know what else it was? It was an awful city. This place was horrible. It was known as one of the most cruel and sadistic cities in all of history. Not just at that time, even today, in all of history, this place was messed up. History records and archaeological discoveries show why this city garnered God's attention and why he wanted Jonah to go there. The city was the center of fertility cults. There, there was all forms of immorality and debauchery going on here. It was a very immoral culture. It was cruel and sadistic in warfare. Some, some crazy facts about Nineveh when they were at war with, with people. Soldiers and civilians would gloat over and pull out the tongue by the root of their enemies. People were skinned alive, skins put up on city walls, people beheaded and put on spikes around the, the city walls, bodies were impaled on poles and left out in the sun for people to see, skulls were along the road leading into Nineveh. History shows that when Nineveh went to wage war on cities, cities would surrender before the war started to avoid the fate that people had that fought against Nineveh. It was a bad place. So when God asks Jonah, or God says to Jonah, rise and go, knowing this, what would you do? Knowing what you're going to see on the way in, as literally as you're walking towards, I could be the next skull, I could be the next body, that person could take my tongue. All these things can go through Jonah's mind. So what would you do if God said, I want you to go here? And the common answer to that, right, is, I don't know if I'd go. I, I don't know. That's, that's scary. That is literally God saying, go look death in the eyes and talk to it. Jonah, well, I bet, was scared. But I think there's more to it. I think we find out that Jonah doesn't want to go, not because of his fear of these people. I think he understands what God's going to do. I think Jonah knows, I'm going to go and I'm going to preach to these people and they're going to change and God's going to save them. But you know what I think the root issue there with Jonah is? I don't think he wants them saved. He knows their history. He knows how bad they are. And he knows who God is. This was not Jonah's first call as a prophet. He had been a prophet. This was not, Jonah, I want you to be a prophet. Mission number one, go to Nineveh. Jonah is established as a prophet of God. He knows who God is. He knows what God does. He knows how God loves and God redeems. And when God says, Jonah, go to Nineveh and we're going to redeem this city, Jonah says, probably, no, they don't deserve it. Not only is this scary, but they of all people do not deserve your grace. I'm not going. I don't want to do it. His fear was they would respond to God's message. He didn't want to see them blessed. He wanted to see them blasted. He wanted to see them just taken out. And at the end of the story, we'll see this to be true. When God ultimately does save Nineveh, we see Jonah totally ticked off. 
He's upset. It's like him saying, I knew it. I knew this would happen. He's so mad at God. He spared him anyway. He went up to watch the fireworks, and they didn't happen. We can be so much like Jonah at times. We, we, can, we can feel like we know or have a sense of what God's desire is, but then we go our own way, and we're upset when, we don't, when God works things his way. We don't feel like God's blessing should be for everyone or everything. And, and we start to experience difficulty in our life like Jonah because we're moving away and rejecting what God has called us to do. I know I've, I've come through times in my life where I've thought, God, it wasn't supposed to work out this way. God, I w- it was supposed to do this. You were supposed to do this. But God's character is better than my character. God's ways are better than my ways. His works are always better than my works. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why is this not going the way I want it to? Why is this going a different way? Whether a single person, a spouse, a parent, whether, whether you're not sure you want to submit to God, consider these questions to help keep you on track. Had Jonah done these questions, I think it really would have helped him in his walk, in his plan. When something happens in your life and you're listening for God, I think the first question we have to ask ourselves is this, God's plan or my plan? Ask yourself this. Even before God is talking to you on something, before you even sit down to pray to God to ask something, ask yourself, all right, I'm going to pray now, but ask yourself seriously, do you want your plan or do you want God's plan? Bet you they're going to be different. I bet they're going to be different. But you got to ask, my plan or God's plan? This, this call to, to go on mission that God called us to, sit down and consider, what strengths do I have? What, what in my life is strong? What is God going to use? What is God going to change? What is God going to mold? Because it's probably different than what I have. Jonah 1.1 says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah saying, and then it continues. Right here, we see that the strength in Jonah's life was his calling. He was called to do things, and he knew it. He had this call in his life. But when he has serious troubles in his life, you know what's happening? It's when he's walking outside of his calling. Things are going good when he's following God's word. As soon as God says do something and he steps out of that, that's when things start to go downhill for Jonah. He steps out of what God has called him to do. Nineveh, the capital of the Assyrian Empire and the enemy of the Jews, in verse 1-3, Jonah rose up to flee from the presence of the Lord. Some, some geography for you. Nineveh is 500 miles northeast from Joppa. And Tarshish in southeast Spain, about 2,500 miles to the west opposite directions. Spain basically is the last outpost. Jonah is going as far the opposite direction as he possibly can. The Mediterranean empties into the Atlantic, which is totally opposite places. This is all to avoid God's calling, which he knows he's already been called to do. So for us, do our decisions start with prayer as an integral part, asking God about our direction? Or do we make decisions from our desires first before we decide we're going to listen to God's plan? One writer, um, an old writer said, this is the sanctimonious sauce of prayer on the back end. Are we praying for God's will or our will? Or are we praying for God's will to just be a part of our will? Jonah never prays until chapter two. And you know what it takes for him to pray? Getting eaten and swallowed by the fish and then being in that fish for three days. I'd, I'd be praying before I saw that fish coming at me to swallow me, right? That moment, it's the Hail Mary prayer. God, kill the fish. You know, right? it's, it's about to happen. It took him three days to get to that point where he was like, all right, God, I'm sorry. Life is definitely better out there than it is being digested. He didn't want to see them blessed, right? So we have to ask, God's plan or my plan? Now, although Jonah's running from God, this is what Jonah wants to do. Jonah is running directly from God. 
It's, it's impossible for us, understand this, it's impossible for us to stay authentically connected to God if we're choosing to live a life counter to God's values. If we decide, hey, yes, I want to be close to God, but I will do X, Y, and Z, and that you know goes against what God is saying, you're going to have a really hard time being authentically close with him because you're not doing what he's called you to do. When we determine our values are different from his, we can try, but it's not going to work. And I think that's the main reason a lot of people slip away. God never moves from his values. He never moves away from us. But as we shift our values and we shift our lifestyle away from what he wants, we will notice the drift. It's never him moving away. It's us moving away. And Jonah literally, spiritually and physically moved away from God. God won't move away from you, but we can move away from him. But even in those moments, we saw God was still working the whole time. He never left Jonah. He never moved away from Jonah. He pursued Jonah. I learned the same lesson about my life and others. I think that the true strength of our lives is responding to God's voice in our lives when, when we follow and we obey what he said for us. There, there was a pastor who wanted to quit ministry, um, gifted speaker, good leader, you know, just, just really liked people. And so, but when he talked to him, he said, you know, why do you want to quit? What's, what's going on? He said, well, I feel like I'm doing everything I can do. I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I just don't think it's working anymore. And in talking, you, you'll start understanding I think I see where the, the problem is happening. I think the focus right now is you're so focused on what you're doing, you have an inward look and you're not looking up enough. How much are you gonna look in at you and not up to God? Our greatest strength in life, I think, is, is to keep us walking according to God's will is when we realize that our strength isn't in what we do, it's understanding where our strength comes from. Understand, understanding who's giving us the strength to do these things. And I think Jonah was kind of missing that point in his story. He was like, well, God, you told me to do this but I'm gonna move away because he was focused on his abilities and not what God was going to do through him in Nineveh. I know that for me, the, the only way in my life that I will make it as a husband, the only way that I'll make it as a dad, the only way that I'll, I'll make it as a pastor is not because I do everything right or well because I know I'm so far from doing everything right, but I know that I'm gonna live in the calling that God has called me to do. I'm going to stay in that lane and know that, God, you've called me to be a dad, and man, I'm going to try to be the best dad I can, living godly principles as a dad. God, you've, you've given me an incredible wife. I'm going to do my best to be a godly husband that you've called me to, using your principles to be that husband. God, you've called me to be a pastor. I'm going to do my best to be the best servant pastor I possibly can. Not because of my abilities, but because I know that God works through my abilities and my lack of abilities. God is there but I gotta keep my focus on him and not just me. Knowing that it's not just my strength, it's his strength. And through his strength, I can have this secure, successful life. The Bible says in Philippians 4.13, I love this verse, it's a famous one. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That will be the strength of God's life working in through me. And let that be a verse for all of us, right? We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Ask ourselves though, when we ask that, are we going to do it God's way or do we want to do it our way? Second, ask yourself this. What will God reveal in you? You want, you want God to do something in your life? Ask, what is God going to reveal in you in this time? Jonah wants to run from his responsibility. And we see in Jonah chapter 1 verse 3, it says, But Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship. So he paid the fare and went down into it. Think of that line right there. He paid the fare and went down into it. Jonah was running, and what was ready for him? A mode of transportation to get out. 
his call and his purpose for, for when you have a call and a purpose in your life, when you know what God has called you to do, if you want to run from it, the enemy of the, your soul will always have a transportation mode to get you out. He'll say, let's go. Get out of here. Let's, I'll, I'll, I'll make this ready for you if you want to run away. He will be anxious and waiting for you. <clears throat> Note this. It says, Jonah paid the fare. Our sin, when we run, there will always be a price. Jonah paid the fare. We will always have a price. Sin is exciting initially, right? You, you know you're not supposed to, there's a thrill of doing something. There's, there's instant satisfaction for your, your flesh, but, but ultimately, that is an expensive price tag we have to pay. It, it comes with something, right? Jonah paid the fare for his. Anytime we want to take a trip into rebellion, you will, I will pay the fare. The bill always comes due. It's like the ads that say, buy now, pay later. Sounds really good until that bill comes, right? It's like taking that big old luxury vacation to Disneyland. It's great until that visa bill shows up. Oof, that's a big one. Sin can seem so good and seem like, oh, this is good now. I don't have to deal with it now. But man, that bill comes. There is a price to pay. Soon you go out, you get a bunch of stuff done. The bill shows up. The newness is gone. The, the good has worn out and you're stuck with just, oh no, what have I done? Sin does this. Hebrews calls it the passing pleasures of sin, then the fear of destruction comes. And notice how this leads Jonah, these actions lead him three times down. Down to Joppa, down to the bottom of the boat, and then down to the belly of the fish. It's all down, down, down when he's running from God. Everything takes him a little bit lower. On, on, on my way to freedom, I want an upward mobility. In truth, if you run from God, it's always a downward path. Maybe the reason so, so many people are down is because they're not doing what God has called them to do. And they feel like, man, I just feel so down right now. I'd say, hey, what is God talking to you about? How can you, how can you follow him and start making your life go up? Really focused on him and focused on what he wants you to do. A step away from God is always a downward step. Even when Jonah is proclaiming the, the gospel, the bottom line is, is God was still not done with Jonah yet. God was Jonah was going through Nineveh. He was then preaching the word eventually, and God is still working in him. It was never a, all right, Jonah, check the box. I'm done with you. You've done it. God was still working on him. And as we see, even though Jonah did proclaim the message, we see Jonah's heart still not in the right place, and God does more work with him after the fact. What was Jonah's big issue? And Jonah had a deep-seated, aggressive hatred towards the enemies of his nation. He didn't want them to repent. He, he, wasn't take, he wasn't into giving them this message of hope, grace, and forgiveness to the, the hated pagan enemies. He didn't want them to know it. And we can probably think of people in our lives or people around the world that we may have that same prejudice towards. We would say, you know what? My prayer isn't, isn't God save those people. My prayer right now is God kill those people. God take them out. Those people don't deserve to be here. Just wipe them out. But what if we as a nation are, and individuals, everything, what if our prayer shifted? What if instead of saying, God, destroy my enemies, what if we said, God, save my enemies? God, rescue my enemies. God, how can you use me to show them who you are and then a soul can be saved? What if that, that shifts our mentality, right? What if our shift was not wipe them out? What if it was God, save them? What if our prayers for what's happening in Israel overseas right now is God, save everyone in every country over there, every one of them? How would that shift how we look at the world? How would that shift what God is doing in our hearts? Sometimes we have to make sure we, we can't refuse to look on the inside of our own hearts when we're praying for the world. Line our hearts with what lines hearts. Let our hearts break for what breaks God's. 
let our prayers go for saving people. Listen, I, I know God is just, and he wants every person to come to repentance. And Nineveh did. When we go through, through chapter 3 and 4, we'll see Jonah goes through, and he preaches this message, and they repent. And they come to this acknowledging of who God is. It's the greatest revival known at the time, but also know that God is just. A hundred years after repenting with Jonah, the prophet Nahum comes because Nineveh slips down again. And he says, now things are going to happen because you've turned away from God. So God is fair. God is just. But he wants everyone to come to him. He gives them more chances. Nineveh ultimately gets this judgment on them for taking Israel captive. And they're indicted for their arrogance, deception, idolatry, their violence. And again, we see God at work in the city. You see, God is sovereign. He is always at work, wanting none to perish, gives everyone the opportunity, opportunity for salvation. But this process calls Jonah and reveals this deep-seated hate that he has to deal with. It's a good idea for all of us. As, as I think one of the big themes of Jonah that, that I pull from it, this whole book, is we, get, we have to look inward. We have to look at what is causing us to either step away from God, what is causing us to step towards God, and let God start working in our hearts first and foremost. Determine our strengths, determine our weaknesses, determine what's happening in our home and our hearts because God is concerned with shaping our whole lives to work out for his will. We have to do an emotional inventory. We have to do a spiritual stock of our lives and find out, God, how can we grow? How can we work? And make sure when he calls us and he says, I want you to do it, we don't turn and say no. We say, God, your will. I am all in on your will. And the third question is, what is your plan of action? What's your plan of action? Go into it with a plan. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's one thing to know the heart of God and possibly his will and purpose for your life, but the key is, what are you going to do about it? <clears throat> Knowledge without action, you know what it produces? Nothing. If you've got a whole lot of head knowledge, but you're not letting it shape your heart and move into action, it really doesn't do much. It's, it's like with, with counseling and working with people. There's, there's two questions I'll really ask people if they ask me for, for counseling or help. I'll say, the first thing, do you want what God wants? As, you're bring, as we're talking about your life, the first thing, do you want what God wants in your life? You know what almost everybody says? <clears throat> yes. If they were to say no, I almost would be like, I really don't know why we're talking then, because that's really a lot of what I'm going to talk about is where this is coming from. <clears throat> Do you want what God wants? Do you want his blessing, his grace? Do you want wisdom for your life? Everybody says yes to that, but then comes the next question. Okay, so you want what God wants. Will you do it God's way? Will you do it God's way? This is where things get difficult. The bottom line is, Jonah didn't want God's way. <clears throat> he didn't want God's way. He didn't want them to be blessed. He didn't want them to be forgiven. He didn't want the grace of God to be given to this horrible nation of, of Nineveh. But the key for our blessing is we have to be able to do things God's way. I'd like to invite the, the worship team up as we come to a close this morning. What I love about this story is, is we see God coming back. In, in Jonah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, Go to Nineveh, that great city. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the, way, the word of the Lord. For all of us today, no, it is never too late for that second chance. Jonah rejected it, but I love that it says there, God came to him again. This same calling, same message, but at that point, Jonah was ready. He said, all right, I tried my way. <laughs> Wasn't going to happen. I'm going to do it God's way. 
And then we see Jonah's heart get worked on. We see the people of Nineveh's hearts get worked on. And what I love about this is God took one man, saved a city. Never count out how many people can be blessed when you do what God has called you to do. Never discredit the people that you think would be the least likely, the least deserving of God's grace can hear you spread a message of love and it can change in an instant. What I love about this is we'll see when we get later on into the book, Jonah doesn't even mention God in his story. He comes in and just says, hey, really soon, just days away, the city's getting destroyed. They knew what it meant. The king knew what it meant. They turned and they repented and they acknowledged God. It is never too late for a second chance. Where are you guys today? Do you need to hear another word? Do you need to make a change? Do you need to work on a a, a weakness in your life? Something for a moment that you say, I don't know if this has ever been fulfilled in my life, but I feel like God has talked to me about it before. Know that it's not too late to do that examine in your life and say, all right, God, what do I need to switch up? I need another chance here. And then embrace God when he says, absolutely, let's do this again. Would you stand with me? It's never too late to start over. It's never too late to start again. And I'm excited to dive more into Jonah and really pick apart the chapters and see how God is working in his heart, his mind, his body, and his soul, and ultimately through the people of the city. Amen? And let's pray. God, you are good. God, I thank you that you are the God of not just a second chance. You're the God of so many chances. And I pray for us today, God, as we leave here, we, we start by asking ourselves those questions. Do I want what you want? And will I do it your way? God, and I pray that as we, as we do this, you, you bring things to life, things we need to make right with you, things that we need to, to shift and things that we need to focus on you and trust you with. And I pray, God, that as we take this step, we step up towards you and not down away from you, but we step towards your will. And God, it's exciting to see what amazing things get done when we're all in line with you and your heart. We thank you, we love you, and everybody said, amen. amen.